back, everyone. This is Mental Health in the Academy. I'm Carlos. I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. This is where we talk about all things that relate to mental health in the university life. If you're a student, if you're a faculty member, staff, even administrator, this podcast is for you. This podcast is a collaboration with the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Scholarship. That's directed by Dr. Kathy Box. I am very excited about today's conversation. A previous episode spoke directly about burnout, but one of my colleagues in social work pointed out to me that if you're talking about burnout, you have to talk about compassion fatigue. And that's what we're talking about today, burnout and compassion fatigue. I'm here with Dr. Gina Colbert. She is a full professor of social work. And what's most interesting about her, I just found this out recently, is that she is a certified compassion fatigue educator. Did I say that right, Gina? You sure did. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, this is this is actually going to be a really important conversation. Compassion fatigue. Well, first of all, let's define compassion fatigue because you said burnout and compassion fatigue go hand in hand. What's your like operational and personal definition of compassion fatigue? So um, if we look at research, and this is a, there's a significant body of research, and compassion fatigue is something that's generally, historically, has been experienced by social workers, therapists, counselors, mm-hmm. uh, clergy, yeah. and um, interestingly enough, also police and firefighters, and mm-hmm. then um, special education teachers. So the body yeah. of research kind of starts there. But um, if we define it, it really is the bad part of helping people. Yeah, That's like the yeah. really simple... Yeah. Um, non-textbook definition. Yeah, I like that. It's the hard stuff that we deal with yeah. in our work. Especially as therapists. I mean, there's a lot of hard stuff that we deal with. But I think this pertains to the academy because, and this is kind of a little bit of a footnote, but how often do you think educators experience that compassion fatigue and the hard stuff that comes with the helping profession? What do you think about that? Well, I think initially when I started um, learning about this concept, it came from a personal place, as often things do, that I I was struggling with burnout. And burnout and compassion fatigue are Mm co-travelers. And so um, I went through my PhD. I finished all this work. My mother had passed away. And then I was really burned out and didn't want to do a lot of things, even though I still felt like I was a motivated person. So I realized, okay, there's something wrong with myself. (laughs) You know, I need to work on this. And so this was something I started doing a lot of research on. And so initially I wouldn't have said, oh, this is something that's problematic in the academy. But after having worked in the job for a really long time now and experiencing lots of things with students and seeing the things that students go through and the challenges that organizations have in academia, I would say that there is a, there's almost a, a place for it. And unfortunately, Unfortunately, because if I'm a therapist, compassion fatigue relates to how, and this is how I conceptualize it and how I tie it to the academy. As a therapist, I, my, my personal definition of compassion fatigue is I'm too tired to care. Exactly. And, and so if I'm in therapy and I'm in that place where I can't conjure compassion, I can't conjure caring about the conversation in front of me, that translates to the academy sometimes. I'm too tired <laughs> to care. Exactly. To, to grade, to to stand up in front of students, to do everything else. Like there's there are several points. Um, I've only been doing this for 10 or, or 11 years now, but there have been several points where I'm like, I'm 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 doing this, I'm going through the motions. It, it's it, it's it's not from a place of caring, it's because I'm just 
Mm-hmm. I'm just, just doing that. you have to be here yeah. today. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. right. And so that that's a piece of it too, is that kind of like the dread of going to your job yeah. that day. And yeah. I think most of us as academics, we want to be here and we want to do right. our work. Um, but the other way it probably manifests day to day in our life is that maybe you have a little bit more difficult student and you're just like, I can't deal yeah, with that. Exactly. Or exactly. I can't go to that meeting because yeah. I don't want to hear what's going to be discussed yeah. today. Yeah. Or um, maybe it's one of your favorite students. It's not, no, we're not really supposed to have those, but you know, there are some <laughs> that connect with us yeah, better. Yeah. Um, and, but maybe it's even like, I just don't even have the time to, or the, the want to, to yeah. deal with that student today. The want. either. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it's really about uh, managing that lack of, can I do my job or do I want to do my job and yeah. do it well? You know, you're want, probably yeah. past wanting to do it well. You just do even want to show up, <laughs> right? So, and Bare that, minimum. Right. Or maybe yeah. maybe you're just a really good, I can gut it out kind yeah. of person yeah. and you do show up and do all the things, but that strong desire to feel satisfied with it mm-hmm. and, and really feeling your accomplishments, uh, feeling good about the things that you're doing day to day. You Maybe you're walking out of, your classroom and thinking, wow, I really didn't, didn't hit the target on <laughs> that one. <laughs> I've done, I've done better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> you said earlier that compassion fatigue and burnout are co-travelers. Correct. Say more about that. That's an interesting okay. phrase to me. So, um, it, with a, the overall concept from a research perspective, compassion fatigue is really made up of a couple of concepts and burnout is the, the precursor, if you will. Okay. And then um, there's um, compassion fatigue, and then there's also what we would call secondary traumatic stress. Yeah. Okay, so that for those of us that are in the more clinical realm, that is something that we are probably experiencing with our client work, yeah. um, you know, taking home the trauma of yeah. things that you're hearing. And so that part might not manifest itself on a campus, but the other two can yeah. And but I would also say that there is a possibility. Um, sometimes even on campuses we have traumatic things. So what if you had a, stu- a student that was suicidal or completed yeah, a suicide, happened. Yeah. or um, maybe we have recurrent losses happening yeah. in yeah. our own lives, whether that be with coworkers or family members or sickness and mm-hmm. illness. I mean, there's all sorts of things that could kind of lead towards that. And if you don't have the tool kit, that's how I talk to our social yeah, yeah, students yeah, about yeah. your toolkit. If you don't have the tools to um, pull out the right tools to manage those behaviors and emotions in yourself, then I think it could lead to this, the, you know, this overall concept of compassion fatigue. But it's yeah. often something that's near burnout or it may be that really severe cases, that secondary traumatic stress. That makes sense. And that's interesting to me, the secondary traumatic stress, um, prolonged exposure to right. traumatic things, right? I wonder how often people in the academy are exposed to traumatic things or, or continuous, continuously exposed to traumatic things. I'm thinking about LCU and its recent history or maybe other organizations, big changes, people come and go. I wonder the quality of or, or the amount of traumatic things people are exposed to in the academy. How fair do you think that is? I, I think it's a fair consideration. Yeah. Um, I think that oftentimes when we say the word trauma, we think that it's, um, you know, really, really severe things like, yeah, like sexual yeah. abuse or physical abuse or, you know, something yeah. like that. But um, when we're exposed to things over and over and over yeah. and there's not a resolution to them, yes, that yeah. starts to feel like trauma exactly. to us. Yeah. And um, one of the interesting ways that trauma has been described to me is that if, if you're a gardener, 
you're going to get dirt on your hands. Oh yeah. Good. Okay. Or if you are, um, you know, like, um, maybe even like a, a food service worker, you're going to get Mm -hmm. food Mm -hmm. on your hands. But if you're around trauma all the time, you're also going to get trauma on you. Yeah. Yeah. And our students come to the table with yeah, trauma. That's true. that's true. They do. Yeah. And so even though um, some of us are you know, potentially professionally equipped to handle that, and we might respond in a way that doesn't um, internalize something for us mm-hmm. because we've already got protective features because of our training. Yeah. A lot of our colleagues don't no, have that. I know. And so when a student tells them a traumatic story about their life, they take that home with them yeah. and they internalize that in a way that they may not have a skill set to manage later on. And even like the follow-up, like, did I say the right thing? What should right. I do? Those kinds of things. Like it's an, it's an emotional, it's, it's emotionally taxing for people to be in that situation, especially if they don't have the training that you and I do. Mm-hmm. And so I can see how that's just chipping away, not full blown trauma, right? right. It's not, but it's like chipping away at continuous exposure to potentially traumatic things. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That is. And I would say it's fair to say, even those of us that have the training, we still question, did we say the right oh, thing? Totally, did totally. we handle it right? Oh, yeah. So um, I don't want it to come off that, oh, we have training that no one else <laughs> could possibly have. But, um, but yeah, it's just, it's something that we, you know, we, we all should be, yeah. if we're really engaged in a conversation, we're probably walking away with a piece of that with us. Totally. Totally. So. And especially, and so, so this leads to another thought that you and I had talked about before. So if we're talking about uh, th- exposure to things in the university that can potentially be traumatic, that can potentially lead to compassion fatigue and burnout. If we're talking about those things, you had mentioned the other day, organizational vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have the notes pulled up too, but I, I'm curious about what you think or how you think organizations are vulnerable to a place to where their employers can become compassion fatigued and and burnt out. Does that make sense? It does. What do you think about that? So I think one of the most simple ways that I discuss that with people is that there's a disconnect sometimes with managing expectations versus managing reality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so... Um, oftentimes we, we have this perception of what our job is going to look like and what our expectations in that job are. Maybe we even have a job description, Yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in some places those are a little unclear than others. <laughs> you know, I always tell, tell our students that, um, when we're preparing them to go into field that when they get out in the field, that the most difficult part of their job will be other duties as assigned. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and so every job description has those things on that's there, good, That's good. but, um, I think that those are the things. So like, um, most of the time the organizational vulnerabilities come into play in such things like working hours, maybe your working yeah. environment, mm-hmm. um, your work-life balance, which I know you've been talking yeah. a lot yeah. about, um, maybe even unclear rules or expectations. And then, um, in some cases, there may not be good um, support, supervision, and then um, maybe even just a general lack of value for well-being. Those are things that when I go and talk to agencies, those are things that come up as we're all here to do this work, but are we doing it well because are we getting the support we need inside yeah. the job yeah. to do the work that we have? And as we go down that list, like the working hours, the work-life balance, uh, even the, the overall value of well-being, uh, if these things make organizations vulnerable to compassion fatigue and burnout, I'm thinking about the academy at large and just, just like in general, like the the pressure to like crank out research mm-hmm. and and to be competitive in in whatever field. 
those kinds of things. Uh, I, I remember even graduating from my doctoral program with this just super mindset of, I got to research, I got to teach, I got to do X, Y, Z. I got to present, I got to do conference, all that kind of stuff. And we joked all the time that they should have given us Xanax in our <laughs> PhD program because there is, there seems to be just a, a narrow one mind, one focused mindset into this is what the academy is and that's it. And there's no, there's no mindfulness, uh, at least in my experience, there was very little mindfulness of well-being, work hours, work-life balance, all that kind of stuff. You're just expected to get out there, crank out research and teach. And, you know, mm-hmm. and so I wonder if the academy at large is, or does that relate? Can that fit into organizational vulnerability? What do you think? I think it can. And I think it's probably um, individualized in different ways. Yeah, yeah. So um, those that are really motivated to be doing research, they feel that pressure for yeah. research more. Yeah. And, um, you know, we're at a small university that on paper is a teaching university, mm-hmm. but we also still have having yeah, pressure put on there mm-hmm. um, or put on us that we should be producing also. And so balancing your teaching really well with balancing these other expectations, mm-hmm. it's really challenging. I know. And if you're supposed to do everything really well, too. I know. It's really hard sometimes. <laughs> I joke with people that I'm doing everything 70%, maybe 80% at best. And that's not a good place to be. <laughs> but those are the expectations, right? Everything that you have to do. And yeah, I can see how that makes, I can see how that's a, a vulnerable spot for organizations to have all these expectations on you. And and then the the conflict of what reality actually is within the individual. I can see how that's that's an interesting place to be. Yeah, I think another example of that would be as a new faculty member. Um, oh, yeah. Do we, or, you know, ha- historically have we, I think we are doing a better job of this now, but we didn't always um, support new faculty members with uh, maybe mentorship and mm, things like that, yeah. you know, kind of guiding people through these things, even though there's expectation, but how do we arrive at that? Yeah. And um, other things that I think of are maybe sometimes um, – I especially see it with like deans and chairs being responsible over things that they have no control over. Yeah. Yeah. But yet having to be the person that um, may be the bearer of bad news or that they're having to cut programs or cut faculty and staff. And they're having to do these really difficult things that are um, part of the vulnerability of the organization that may not, you know, yes, they signed up for the job, but is it, is it what they really is part of their work, if you will. And that's a really good point. I'm going to read that bullet point there under, under unclear roles and expectations. Responsibility for things you can't control or experience of lack of control over your work. That's a really, yeah. Mm-hmm. And when those things come up, I mean, that's a hard place to be. Like it, it, uncontrolled things, uh, things you don't expect come up and you have to shift. You mm-hmm. have to adjust and, and, and pivot and and do your best. And sometimes, uh, yeah, that's that's a really interesting one for me. And I also think for the rank and file faculty member, um, it's more of like taking on a class that might not be your biggest area of expertise, sure, yeah. but because there's no one else to teach it, you yeah, have to take have to, it. Yeah. And so even though that's, yes, we're trained and, and we have the ability to do that, it, it, it leaves us kind of feeling like, did I do the best job I yeah, could? Exactly, exactly. And I can see how that that leads to, well, uh, I'm going to use that to to shift here because I can see how that gets someone to a place of not having the proper amount of compassion or caring about your job in general. And I can see how it leads to burnout. And so you had mentioned 
about the the progression of fog. Mm-hmm. I really like I like progression. I like steps a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, and I've I've seen I've heard people talk about this. Gosh, it, even even before COVID, I've heard people say stuff like this. I'm just in a fog. Mm-hmm. I'm just like in a mental daze. I'm in a mental fog. So this is when you when you brought this up, I thought this was really interesting because I can see how that goes into the the compassion fatigue and, and being burnout. I always thought it was just a, a symptom of being burnout or 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 an outcome, but I but I feel like you put it in a different order for me. So let's talk about that for a second. The whole progression of the fog and where it leads. Okay, so um, to give credit where credit is due, this is not my brainchild. (laughs) Years ago, uh, Dr. Jones, it was one of our former presidents, he um, used to do a lot of public speaking and um, sometimes teaching at churches and things like that. And I was in a class of his one day, and he started with this concept. And immediately after, I went and had a conversation with him, and I was like, this is exactly aligning with some of the things that, that, that we teach, especially related to compassion fatigue. And so um, he's been very gracious for years to let me use this material. And so I always try to give him credit. But essentially what happens is that we um, can move as humans through basically three different phases um, that looks like a fog, okay, or a mental fog that could lead us to something that's maybe not a good place, right? So um, usually what happens, though, is that we get fatigued somewhere, okay? Okay. So if we think um, think about yourself for a moment, and think about your emotional, your physical, and your spiritual self. Okay. Okay. And if you were to gauge those, like either, even think of it like a battery level or a gas gauge. Okay. And, and you can make this rhetorical, but yeah. <laughs> if you wanted to say, okay, I'm really full spiritually, but I'm really worn out physically and mm-hmm. I'm really worn out emotionally, then those become vulnerabilities for us personally. Okay. And um, if we don't manage those things, if we don't keep ourselves more balanced with our physical, emotional, and spiritual selves, then we become fatigued in one of those areas. Okay, okay. And once we're fatigued, then a fog sets in. Okay, so it can be like this mental fog sets in. And once that's there, we start flirting with behaviors and decisions and actions that we never would have considered before. Okay. Okay, so the, the um, pathway is fatigue leads to fog that leads to flirtation okay. Okay, okay. with behaviors, okay. essentially. Yeah. And so um, I find that really interesting, and it's something that if we know about it, that we can manage. Sure, yeah. And so if you know that you're physically not doing well, then you can do certain things to manage that physicality. Maybe diet, sleep, exercise. Yeah, all that. Um, emotionally, um, maybe you're having a f- difficulty in relationships, maybe fear-based anticipation for something. Mm, yeah. Um, it could be actual anxiety or depression. Yeah. And then on the spiritual side, maybe um, you're disconnected from God or um, whatever your higher power might sure, be. Yeah. Um, maybe it is feeling like you're alone oh, in yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm the only one that's experiencing Isolated, this. Isolated, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then um, also usually with that is also pride and arrogance that kind of fall into that interruption of, yeah. of spirituality. Interesting. And actually, I recently just heard someone say that even anxiety is something that um, negates our, our spiritual connection with God. Yeah, I can see that. And so I thought that, you know, that might fall in there yeah. as well. I can but see that. Yeah. Anyway, that's, that's just sort of the you've got to gauge those things. Yeah. And then if those things are healthy, then you're probably going to be more compassion satisfied 
in your work. But if yeah. you are deficient or low in one of the physical, emotional, spiritual levels, then essentially yeah. you could be flirting with behaviors and actions that you normally would not be. And that's the part that's interesting to me. The, the, you get to a place where you start flirting with behaviors that aren't maybe characteristic of yourself that you wouldn't usually do. Say a little bit more about that because I'm wondering how that relates to different people. So for example, if I am, I don't know, if, if I am physically uh, low, if my, if my tank is physically low, and I think I've been there before, like there have been times where I get eight hours of sleep and I wake up exhausted. Mm -hmm. I'm just like physically just tired. And so behaviors that resonate with me, if I'm in the, if I'm low physically, I'm going to start flirting with behavior. So I might be snippy. Mm -hmm. I might be short. Uh, my, my patience might be, might be shorter than usual. Is that what you're talking about? Something like that? Right. Especially on the physical level. It's, it's a little hard to kind of tease it out of the emotional sometimes, sure. but I think it also goes back to that. I don't really want to be here today. Okay. Gotcha. Okay. Right. So Apathy. I'm, so, right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm fatigued. I'm tired. Yeah. Um, this is, I, I don't need one more thing on my plate. Oh my goodness. I got one more email. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <Seriously>. <laughs> right. Gosh. So I think it's those kinds of things on the, yeah. on the physical side, at least in academia and, um, you know, in other jobs that could be, you know, like physically unable in, in to do the work. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. um, maybe for nursing, you know, they just can't get through their 12 hour shift or, yeah. you know, I mean, so you really have to apply it to think about what, what yeah. work we're doing, yeah. if you will. Yeah. Um, and then, um, emotionally, um, like I said, it's a little hard to tease that out, but it's probably just, I don't care. Yeah. And apathy, if yeah. I'm going back to apathy yeah. or I don't care. And you start looking for something you do care about, or you look for some kind of substitute. Oh, interesting. Okay, so it yeah. may end up being, you know, like in a more severe case, it, it may be substances or yeah, okay. maybe starting a relationship okay. that's not healthy for okay, you or yeah. outside of your current relationship. I mean, there could be all sorts of paths yeah, that yeah. that could lead towards. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So it's like it's like you're finding something that will either replace or uh, I can't find a better word than replace. You have this sense of apathy in this area, so you're finding something that will either soothe or make it better or I can't find a better word to replace. Right. It, it, yeah. And it may just be like in behavior, like maybe you're scrolling social media too much because oh, yeah, yeah. you're not wanting to engage in the things that you need to engage Escaping. in. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, okay. it's, it's some of those other things that we, that we yeah. see um, that people struggle with. So fatigue in one of these areas leads to that fog, Correct. right? Mm -hmm. And that fog, once we're in that fog, we start to flirt with behaviors that maybe we usually wouldn't do. And then after that, spot that progression then we start getting to compassion fatigue or is that right it, it's usually like either going to be burnout and so burnout yeah. is always the precursor gotcha. yeah, yeah. and then if you have burnout then if that is unchecked or it's it's gotcha. uninterrupted then it could lead to the, yeah. the total kind of concept of yeah. compa compassion fatigue gotcha that makes sense that's a long and so i'm kind of i'm kind of putting this into perspective here because the, the term compassion fatigue, I've heard it a lot before, but if I'm thinking about how someone gets there, there's already a lot of things that you have to experience or go through before you can get to a place of being quote unquote compassion fatigue. And just thinking out loud, that's a little bit scary to me. Mm -hmm. Like there's a lot of stuff you have to go through, like emotional stuff, hard stuff. Right. And so like, I'm just, I'm just wondering like how many people are within that progression somewhere 
or maybe already at compassion fatigue and they think I'm here and, and all the things that they've experienced beforehand aren't even on the radar. They're just already here. Does that make sense? Right. Right. And they may not even realize it because they become so accustomed their norm. to feeling how yeah. they feel. Yeah. Yeah. That's really interesting to me. There's a lot of stuff you have to get to before you get to compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting to me. There is interesting. And I think there's even a lot that we have to get to, to get to burnout. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah. And, and I think we use the word burnout really loosely, you know, yeah. it's like, well, I'm really burned out, you know, and yes, we probably are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when we look at it from a more um, research based and clinical perspective, there's some really good indicators if you fall yeah. into those categories. Mm-hmm. And if nothing else, maybe this conversation will inspire people that are like, Oh, do I fit that category yeah, to I go and so. look and, yeah. and see what do I need to be doing to, yeah. to interrupt this process? Speaking of what I need to be doing, you mentioned compassion satisfaction. Correct. So compassion satisfaction um, is the balance of these things. Um, It's actually what we would call the good stuff or the part that we love from our work. Okay. Okay? So ideally, if we were all in a great um, situation, we would go to work every day and we we would really feel fulfilled at the mm-hmm. end of that day. Okay, yeah. okay. And I think we probably all have been there at some point. Some point. Yeah. 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 And so, and that's always the goal is that, that, you know, and, and it's not saying that you don't feel inconvenienced or that there's aspects of your job that aren't exactly the way you want them. That's unrealistic. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sure. But it's like overall in general, I'm satisfied with the work I'm doing and the help that I'm giving other people. Okay. 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 And I think one of the things that's been interesting to me in my time in academia is that academia has become much more service oriented than it was initially when I started. Mm, and so, okay. um, it has this huge aspect of I'm serving my students okay. and I'm meeting their needs, Yeah, which is good. I sure. mean, that's what we're yeah. here for. But, um, you know, if, if you think about I'm helping them, I'm, I'm meeting their needs, I'm doing the things, I'm providing the care. Am I coming away from that at the end of the day yeah. feeling like I did? Yeah. I did well. Yeah. And also being able to recognize your accomplishments without dismissing them. And, Good, you know, because yeah. that's one of the things I think we get into that mindset of is like, oh, well, I did, yeah, I wrote an article or I did yeah. a book or, you know, whatever. Yeah, the, yeah. And then it's just like, well, it's part of my job. It's and one stuff. more thing I have to do. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, and, and those, you know, it is one more thing you have to do potentially, but we should also be happy with yeah. the fact that we did the things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that we did them well. So the balance between, if I hear you correctly, uh, I hear you saying something like the balance of the meaning you get out of your job. Correct. Or, or the meaningfulness about the different parts of your job. Because, yeah, there are parts that, that everyone doesn't like about their job. Mm-hmm. But the balance between those two and maybe even the intentional focus on the meaningful parts of your job. Is that fair? Yes, I think it is. Um, you know, and there's always so much to be said about being a, a positive thinker and (laughs) seeing the world from that lens (laughs) and you can really gain a lot from this perspective doing that and really just, just really being like, you know, I didn't get it all right today but I did really well with that, yeah. that one piece of this. And I'm happy yeah. that I, that you can walk away from your, your day being, being satisfied with yeah. some of the work that you did. Yeah. So it's unrealistic for us. I think we're going to get it all right. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, of course it is. I think I talked about it on the imposter syndrome episode that the literature in imposter syndrome with therapists says that a therapist just needs one good sentence in a therapy session mm-hmm. to be effective. Just, just one good sentence. Right. And there's something about that, right? If I can Mm -hmm. focus on one good thing about my day that I've done Mm -hmm. and the intentional part of focusing and what brings meaning to me, there's something, there's something to be said there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. And maybe you don't just focus on that. Maybe you do something with that. Yeah. So maybe you write it down or, Good, and, yeah. you know, maybe you tell one of your coworkers, yeah, you know, because yeah. um, one of my coworkers and I, we often say, oh, well, this is what I didn't do right today. <laughs> I'm so easy. It's so easy for me to do. <laughs> and so maybe I need to flip that script a yeah, little bit more yeah. and say, well, I might have done this, but I also yeah. did this really well. Compassion, and this was a win. Compassion, satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And there's actually inventories and measures to measure all of this. And, you know, so it's not just this arbitrary concept, you know, we've, we've got some, you know, and, you know, a questionnaire that you can take to see if you fall into um, any of these categories and, and it even scales it out with a different, you know, whether it's burnout or compassion fatigue or compassion satisfaction. You mentioned that last time and I wrote down compassion Mm -hmm. fatigue. Is that what it's called? Compassion fatigue inventory? It's actually called the ProQual and it's P-R-O-Q-O-L, right? And, and they have a really great website and what I love about it, it's free um, because a lot of inventories that we use to assess people are very expensive. And this is something that an individual can go on and look at, or you can do it um, as I sometimes will do with organizations um, to kind of help them to kind of see, do we have people with these problems? And then, you know, if there are identified issues, the natural response should be, what should we do to make this better? So I think, so yeah, uh, you mentioned the ProQual and that's the, that's the website that we have pulled up here. I wonder how often universities take these kinds of steps to, I don't know, to learn about their, their faculty, to check in on their faculty, to make sure just the, the investment in, in mental health and well-being. I wonder how often universities do that. I, I don't know that. It, I think it may be becoming a, a concept, I think but I yeah, don't know yeah. that it's been something in most places that has been built into the culture of yeah, the university. There it is. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's unfortunate. And I know that mental health has taken a sharp increase. Uh, the needs for mental health taken a sharp increase, especially after COVID. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're getting there. I think it's coming around. Um, I don't know. I don't know if we're there yet. I don't know if overall the academy is there yet. Correct. Yeah, um, I agree. Um, I don't. But I, I think you and I have a special uh, advantage because of our training. So this is on our minds more mm-hmm. often than not. And so. Yeah, I've always said that it should be people like us running universities, <laughs> <laughs> people who know something about mental health. <laughs> I, I, I sometimes say, nobody asked me about that. Nobody. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that out loud. I might edit that later. <laughs> but um, so I am at the end of my notes here, Gina. Let me <clears throat> let me. So my my takeaways here are, of course, compassion fatigue and burnout. How they're co-travelers. That's a really important one for me. The idea of organizational vulnerability is really interesting to me too. The self-care part of it, the compassion satisfaction part of it, spiritual, personal, emotional, physical gauges and where you are in each one of those different areas. Those are my big takeaways for me. And that whole fog Mm -hmm. idea, man, it's a really big one for me. What else do you think people can be doing to live with, to combat, to help compassion fatigue slash burnout? Well, um, again, the balancing factor to get to compassion satisfaction really comes down to self-care. And we hear that all the time now. 
that um, I will be the first to tell you, self-care is not going to Sonic and getting your favorite drink or getting your favorite <laughs> coffee at Starbucks. It's not? It's not those things. <laughs> self-care is boundaries. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. And so um, now there are other things that you can do, you know, to, you, you might need, you know, you probably do need some self-care goals in each one of those categories that yeah. led to the fatigue and fog, right? Yeah. So you probably do need some self-care that is physical. You yeah. need some self-care that is emotional and you need course, some self-care yeah. that is um, also spiritual. That's good. That's good. So that we are dealing with the whole person. Yeah. And so, and, um, you know, all of us in the helping profession probably have good lists and things that sure. we can yeah. hand out to people yeah. that these are things that you can do. But I think people sometimes think, well, oh, I'll just take a bubble bath at the end of the night or <laughs> I will, you know, go get my favorite coffee in yeah. the morning and yeah. I've done my self-care. But really, it comes down to setting boundaries yeah. with yourself and other things mm-hmm. that become intrusive. Yeah. And so um, it maybe it's an intrusive thought or maybe it is intrusive mm, work. Yeah. 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 And so that leads me to another concept that I think is really important, which is organizations also need to have an element of self-care. Yeah. Yeah. And they need to ascribe to some type of framework that becomes supportive for their employees if they want them to be healthy long term. Yep, that's good. And so, um, and, and there are, especially like in the helping profession, um, there's a couple in our community that do this, but I only know of two. Really? Right. And okay. so I think wow. it's a very, very foreign concept yeah. to um, academia, especially. Yeah. You know, we might say, oh, well, we have really good benefits for, you know, academia might sell, have selling points. Like we might have good benefits or um, we, um, you know, have a really good mentorship program yeah. or yeah. we have really good research history. But do they have these other components that help you reach those goals? Like, do the the administrative people support yeah. um, the staff and the faculty yeah. in a, yeah. in a way that allows for you to do self care? Yeah. Um, do people get release time? Do they um, get supported That's if good. they need to be off work That's for good. something? Or you know, is there is it kind of met with a, a sense of why were you not here? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I know that doesn't happen everywhere and it may not be happening here, but I, th- I think that the, that feeling of, can I meet my needs and still my, do, do my job? Yeah, There's yeah. often a disconnect there. There is. Yeah. Cause I, I don't have time to get to self-care. I've got right. that so often. Yeah. I don't have to, I don't have time to fill in the blank. Right. Um, I was listening to a podcast. I forgot whose it was, but they were talking about. Um, having compassion for narcissists. Hmm. I forgot who it was. That's going to bother me. But they said that the key part of having compassion for a narcissist wasn't like patience or caring. The key part to having compassion was boundaries. Mm-hmm. And that resonates with what we're talking about here for me too, because maybe, just maybe, a part of our compassion fatigue is just a general lack of boundaries. Mm-hmm. And if and that goes back to self-care, if we have better boundaries with our, gosh, whatever, thoughts, employers, work schedules, whatever, mm-hmm. maybe that can help compassion fatigue a little bit more than buying a Starbucks drink <laughs> or buying clothes or whatever. I'm guilty of that. I like to emotionally shop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. yeah. And I think that um, another piece of this that... I think you've talked about in other segments a little bit besides saying no sometimes. Yeah, and yeah. I'm not saying we should not do things. Like I mean, we all have a responsibility yeah. to our job. We should do our job well. Yeah. But there are times that you might not be the right person to be mm-hmm. on that committee or 
if you take that on, will you suffer, will your work suffer in other places? Yeah. And so, um, and I think it's really hard for people to learn how to say no. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I always kind of run through my own head when I need to say no is that just because I can doesn't mean I should. That's good. And That's good. Um, so, you know, setting that boundary for me has been really helpful is that I might be okay and able to do this, but should I be doing this right now? One thing I need to do more often is if I say yes, if I say no to something or if I'm deciding yes or no, Mm -hmm. I need to be more mindful of what is going to suffer specifically if I bring this on my plate. Mm -hmm. Um, And and that's something I need to be more mindful of. Like the learning scholars thing, like I'm thinking Mm -hmm. about, okay, if I take this on, what is going to suffer? What do I need to let go or something like that? Right. I need to do a better job instead of just saying, yes, fine, I'll do it. Yes, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm really guilty of, of that. Of just, oh, same. Yeah, yes, I've, yeah. I'm still not where I need to be, <laughs> but I've learned a few tricks along yeah. the way that help me help me balance things a little better. And mindfulness, you mentioned that in a casual way, but mm-hmm. that is actually one of the really good yeah. balances for this is actually, pr- you know, practicing mindfulness yeah. techniques and, you know, being really aware, aware of what we're doing and why we're doing it and yeah, yeah. what our responses to those things are. Does Tony do mindfulness? I think he might do a little. A little bit? Okay. I'm not sure. I think he does some. I know Jane Simpson does a Oh, yeah, gosh. Him yeah. the other day on a yeah. podcast. Yeah, we should have a, a specific episode for mindfulness, I mm-hmm. think. Um, I think people kind of know what it is. I think they have a good idea of what it is. Mm-hmm. But I think some more detail might be good. I don't know. Do you know what else? That's, let me think here. I think the, we covered most of it. I think so. I think so, too. This is such an important conversation. It really is. And, uh, yeah, I think we've covered everything on my list. Yeah. Okay. I think so. I've looked through, yeah. looked through my notes also. So <coughs> thanks for doing this. Sure. I yeah, appreciate it. This Thank is, you. this is really good. I'm excited to have Tony on because he does the, the relaxation stuff. And so, uh, I think he'll and be he great for this great too. He has a great voice for this. He's going to be great. I know. I can't <laughs> wait to have him on just for that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Everyone listening, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or to Dr. Gina Gulpert. We are here for for you all. We're here for the university and for mental health needs in general. So, Gina, thanks again. Thank you, Carlos. I enjoyed it. Everyone else, take care of each other, take care of yourself, and we'll talk to you next time.